right. Uh, to to begin, um, when I was uh, when I was just a young lad on a mission, uh, we we always started our uh, uh, district conferences and our zone conferences and all that with the same section from the Doctrine and Covenants. And then when I became young men's president in our ward and I was teaching the priest quorum, we always started our priest quorum uh, meetings with the same section from the Doctrine and Covenants and I think they still do it uh, to this day uh, and that section of course would be what? Section 4 uh, Now behold See how well we know this one? Okay. Marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men therefore oh you didn't bark in the service of God we got it. Okay. Um, it's interesting as we're looking at this today I, I want to start there. Um, because I think that's going to give us uh, kind of a background as to where we are at this moment in, in church history. Uh, it is uh, February of 1829. Uh, Joseph is in harmony. Remember the uh, the the, uh, the almost 200 pages of manuscript was lost uh, the summer before. Uh, there's not a lot going on. Uh, he is he is fiddling with the translation. He's kind of trying to figure out how do I do this, and he's trying to make up uh, see where the words are and and what what words seem to be showing up most often. But he really doesn't know what he's doing. He's only translated a little bit that he'd sent off with Martin Harris the following the last summer off to the uh, the three wise men. Uh, that's about all he's done, and he nothing's really happening here. Martin Harris doesn't dare show his face in harmony. He's still really deeply embarrassed about all the stuff the summer before. So Joseph is really, and nothing is happening really. And then dad shows up. Dad comes down to harmony. How's, how's my boy doing? Uh, he's going to show up. He will actually go by uh, Joseph Knight's house in uh, in uh, I want to say Colesville. It's not. It's uh. Anyway, I'll get it. He goes by Joseph Knight's house. Uh, Joseph Knight takes takes them all. He and he and uh, Mama Smith all the way over to Harmony. It's about 28 miles. Uh, it is Colesville. It's Colesville Saints. Um, that still doesn't sound right. We'll see it in a second. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Joseph is going to have a revelation for his dad. Uh, now, I want to... Uh, yeah, let's do it in this order. Um, so dad comes, and uh, the degree to which Joseph Smith Sr... Uh, let's, let's do it this way. Let's go to section 4, the Doctrine and Covenants. And we'll make over here, Dark Covenants. Okay. Now, fascinating to me. Again, Joseph is fiddling around. There's nothing really going on. Uh, Father Smith is there. Uh, Joseph sits down with him, and out comes a revelation through the seer stone. And it says, And now, behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. <laughs> You know, he's got to look around that little house and go, really? <laughs> you 
Look at where we are. A marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that you serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. If you have desire to serve God, you are called to the work. The field is wide, all ready to harvest. We get this beautiful missionary thing, and, and Joseph Smith Sr. is sitting there going, well, this is quite a blessing. What am I supposed to do with this? And then he goes home. Okay? Now, the, the thing that's amazing about this, I want you to keep section 4 in mind, because uh, this is actually kind of where it starts. Believe it or not, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men, but watch how it works. Okay? Now, let me get back here to... The degree to which Joseph Smith Sr. acted upon this revelation is unknown, but his call to the work may have had significant immediate impact when he returned to Palmyra, where Oliver Cowdery was boarding at his house. Why was Oliver Cowdery boarding there? He was a teacher. Okay, so he's teaching people in, in the children of Manchester. And he was boarding at the Smith house. They were probably making a little extra money off of him boarding there. Uh, Joseph Smith and Lucy Mack had met Cowdery when he began teaching school in Manchester. Now, he, the, the word was out that something, something crazy was happening with their, their uh, money-digging son. He had gold plates, and, he, and they tried to find it, and the whole area knew about it, but he then moved to Pennsylvania, but the word was out. And Oliver kept saying to the Smiths, so tell me the story, what's going on? And they said, no, 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 we really don't want to say that much. It's not, you know, every time we talk about it, we get in trouble, and things get worse, so we're not talking about it. Well, tell me, but no, we're not, we just don't want to talk about it, okay? So, guess what? So, Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mack come back from Harmony, and he takes Section 4 to heart, and he says, Oliver... Let me tell you what has really been happening. You'll be my first convert. I'm going to tell Oliver, here's exactly what happened with our son. Lucy wrote that although Cowdery had questioned Joseph Smith Sr. about the gold plates, he did not succeed in eliciting any information for a long time. This revelation may have prompted Joseph Smith Sr. to share a sketch of the facts related to the plates, which Cowdery, who then became convinced that he had been called by God to assist Joseph Smith as his scribe. How did Joseph Smith come to, or Oliver Cowdery come to believe that he would be Joseph Smith's scribe? Think about DNC 6, if you know anything about the Doctrine and Covenants. Oliver Cowdery will pray about it. And, and in answer to a question, in, in, his, in his vision he will see the Lord and he's being called to the work. And the Lord is going to tell him some things. Now, he's now going to be convinced, I need to get, and, he, and now suddenly this lights inside of him, this desire to get down to harmony and be with Joseph Smith. And he finds out that uh, Samuel, his, uh, Joseph's brother, is actually now going to go down to visit in harmony. It's winter. There's not a lot of planting going on. We can tr travel a little bit. Samuel's going. Oliver says, I'm going with you. 
Why? Well, I just want to meet Joseph. He's not really telling anybody about the vision that he just had. But I got to get down there to Harmony. I want to meet Joseph. Okay? So he will travel down there. Um, and it seems to have been aided by Section 4 of the Doctrine and Covenants, now knowing the whole story. Okay? Section 4 worked in February of 1829, is what I'm, what I'm telling you. Okay? Okay. So Oliver Cowdery gets there on uh, April 5th, Saturday. Uh, Joseph Smith's history. Uh, after we had received this, uh, let's see. Um, tell you what, let's do this. Let's now hop over for just a second over to DNC 6. Oliver Cowdery would really like a revelation. Your dad got a revelation, and I need to know kind of if I'm really supposed to be here. So here comes section 6. Uh, behold, I am God. Uh, now, to. To these beginning people, here's Joseph Smith receiving revelation. Is it, is it uh, in Joseph Smith's words? No, it's, it's God speaking in the first person to these people through Joseph Smith. Well, that's pretty impressive. Okay? And so here's Oliver Cowdery. Behold, I am God. Give heed unto my word, Oliver, which is quick and powerful. Uh, uh, verse 5, if you ask of me, you shall receive. Now, verse 6. Now, Oliver, as you have been asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments and seek to bring forth my, my cause of Zion. Seek not for riches, but wisdom. Uh, Tan, thou hast a gift. If thou will inquire, thou, thou shalt receive the mysteries. Now, blessed art thou for what thou hast done. Thou hast inquired of me. And as often as thou hast inquired of me, thou hast received instruction of the Spirit. If it had not been so, thou would not have come to the place where thou art at the time. Why are you here? How come you're here? Well, you wouldn't be here if I hadn't have spoke to you and you hadn't responded. Wow. Okay. Uh, now, I, I tell thee that thou mayest know that there is none else save God that knoweth thy thoughts and intents of thy heart. Now, he says, Thou art Oliver. Verse 10. I have spoken these things, treasure these things up. And then, 22. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night you cry to me in your heart that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind about this matter? Shortly after this, uh, Oliver will write to his, his friend that he'd met in, um, in Palmyra, a man by the name of David Whitmer, who was up from Fayette on business and he says this man can tell me the thoughts of my heart he tells me things that nobody else nobody else can know this is amazing and David is writing back saying wow I mean I'm really I'm interested tell us more as soon as you find out more I will David but but for right now I'm staying in harmony because this man I think is the real deal okay all right 
So based on that, uh, verse 25, I grant unto you a gift if you desire to me to translate even as my servant Joseph. And he will actually be given a shot at doing a little translation. So, so with that, Joseph Smith's history. After we received this revelation, 6, he, Oliver Cowdery, stated to me that after he'd gone to my father's to board, and after the family communicated to him concerning the plates, one night he'd retired to bed, he called upon the Lord, the Lord manifested it was true, uh, Oliver Cowdery had seen the Lord, the plates in vision was desirous to come. All this stuff was in Oliver's head, he wasn't telling anybody. The revelation featured, built on the experience by announcing that if Cowdery desired, God would grant him the gift to translate. Okay? Now, so, th thus it begins. Now, one other thing that I need to mention, because I want to put these in kind of historical order so you'll, you'll see it. Um, there's one other thing that is happening here. Uh, and that is, it has to do with Martin Harris. Just before these guys, just as these guys are getting ready to start translating, uh, Martin Harris's wife is aware that Martin Harris has agreed to sell to to put his land up as collateral for the for the publishing of the Book of Mormon. And Lucy Harris is getting a little worried and a little perturbed and then a little angry. And then she starts riding through the the town trying to build up. Um, uh, people against this whole project because she's afraid Martin Harris is going to sell the land, uh, which he did. And she finds three witnesses that says, yeah, Joseph was just making all this stuff up. She's going to take all that stuff together. She gets depositions of these three guys and she's ready to now take this thing to court and have Joseph arrested as a fraud. She's stirring up the countryside. Okay, Martin Harris is a little worried that both about Joseph, as well as everything else that's going on, she will ultimately take this thing to court in August of, of uh, 1829. But she's building up the case. So now Martin is worried about what may be happening here. So just before Oliver gets there, Martin has already been down to Harmony. Uh, Lucy Harris is stirring up the people, uh, forced a hearing in September. Uh, so Martin travels to Harmony to gain reassurance for the existence of the plates. I still want to know if the plates are there. Yes, I've hefted them. Yes, they're there. I just need to know because we need to have solid evidence because Lucy's kind of going crazy here. And he wants, uh, tell me for sure that the plates are here. This is what gets us DNC 5. Um, now, now I say unto you, uh, here comes this revelation, uh, unto my servant Martin Harris, who's desired a witness. Uh, now, and I, I love how he puts this. This is so great. Uh, now, I say, this shall you, Joseph, Verse 2, this shall you, Joseph, say unto him, Martin Harris. He who spake unto you said unto you, I, the Lord, am God. <laughs> 
Tell Martin God said this to him. <laughs> the one who is speaking to you is speaking to Martin, and it's me, God. Tell Martin, I, the Lord, am God. I have given these things unto you. I commanded that you should stand and, and witness. Verse 3, I have caused you, Joseph, that you should enter into a covenant with me, that you should not show them except to those persons I have commanded you. The reason, Martin, I haven't shown you the plates is God told me not to, and it's God speaking to me the way he's speaking to you. It's pretty powerful. Okay? And you, Joseph, have a gift to translate the plates. That's the first gift I gave you. Pretend to no other gift until we get done with this. Um, now, the reason why I think this is valuable, <coughs> this is March of 1829. Listen to what starts to foreshadow this. And hereafter, Joseph, you shall be ordained and go forth and deliver my words unto the children of men. We get a little bit foreshadowing. We're about 90 days out of this ordination. Okay? Oh, thank you. We're about 90 days out. And we're going to talk about in a minute what a momentous moment this is. Uh, and that's really going to kind of be what we wrap up with today, I think. Hereafter you shall be ordained and go forth and deliver my words unto the children of men. Uh, verse 10. This generation shall have my word through you. Now, here comes a little bit of a carrot to Martin Harris. But th this generation shall have my word through you, and in addition to your testimony, the testimony of who? Three servants. There will be three people who will be able to see the plates. There's, there's the carrot. Uh, of whom I shall call and ordained, and they shall know of the surety. 13, I will give them the power that they will behold and view these things, and none else will I grant this power. Um, and 15, and the testimony of three witnesses will I send forth of my word. Okay. 17, but you must wait a little while, for ye are not yet ordained. The ordination is going to be really critical to what's about to happen this summer of 1829. Okay? So. Um, oh, then, then the warning. Verse 23. Now I speak unto my servant Joseph concerning uh, Martin Harris that desires the witness. If... It, uh, he exalts himself and does not humble himself before me, but if he will stop doing that and bow down and humble himself, then will I grant him a view of the things he desires to see. This is so important because, again, Martin Harris will be the means by which um, the Book of Mormon will be printed. There's no other, nobody else that will do it. It, it, the money's going to have to be paid up front, as we'll talk about uh, next time. That, that, that's a $3,000 check that's going to have to be written. Um, but if, he, if he's sincere, I will grant him a view of these things. And then, and then this. 
26. Don't have him not say any more. Uh, if you deny this, he'll break my covenant. Needs to be humble. And then he's going to say, verse 30, Now I say unto thee, Joseph, when thou hast translated a few more pages, and he's going to translate the revelation to his dad, uh, thou shalt stop for a season, even till I command thee again, thou, then thou mayest translate again. Okay? So here we are now, this is March, and, and Oliver Cowdery is, is coming, but he's not there yet. Um, so, anyway, I think that's, uh, so 34, and sometimes I think this is, to, to a lot of us, this is great counsel, is it not? Verse 34, for this cause I have said, stop and stand still until I command thee. Stop and stand. How hard is it sometimes in the church to stop and stand still? <laughs> If you're feeling like you need to be doing things and need to move forward, or the answer isn't yet coming, how hard is it when the Lord says, wait. (laughs) Don't do anything. Stop and stand still. No, we don't want to stop and stand still. We want to be doing. No, stop and listen and wait and let my purposes roll forward. Oliver's coming in April. The priesthood is coming in May. Stop and stand still. Patience is tough. <laughs> okay. So, that's, that's where we get to. And again, as, we talk, as we'll talk about, uh, Lucy will bring suit. It, it comes in August, just as Martin is deeding his property to E.B. Grandin uh, to, to begin to pay for the, the uh, printing. Uh, Martin himself will testify in court that I haven't been defrauded. Uh, I have seen the plates. By the way, I saw the plates. Last month I saw the plates. Really? And an angel. And plates. I saw them. Well, eyewitness account works really well in court. Anybody else see it? Yeah, there were two other guys. And by the way, and then there was eight other guys. (laughs) There were actually 12 of us. And I don't know if he told them, but he wasn't even... the, the, The three witnesses weren't the first, other than Joseph Smith, to see it. And we're going to talk about that in a second. They were actually the third, fourth, and fifth people to see the plates. Okay. All right. So, so Oliver arrives on the on the fifth. The revelation comes on the sixth. Very nice, right? And on the seventh, Monday morning, they sit down to look across at each other, and away we go. The translation begins. Um, now, a couple of things I want to point out about the translation. Uh, because I have, in, in the last uh, year or so, I've read an awful lot. We have a number of scholars doing some great things trying to understand how this translation process worked. But I want to, I want to preface it with two things. Uh, here's, here's number one. 
and I got this off of the Joseph Smith Paper Project. When they get to uh, Kirtland, uh, in 1831, they go out just outside of Kirtland to a little town called Orange, and they have a conference in Orange, and and it's almost like a it's almost like our Quorum and Relief Society councils. Everybody's talking about the needs of the saints, and they're just talking about it and everything. And in the middle of all this, uh, Hiram jumps up, and I have the I have the minutes here from the from the Orange conference and you're gonna have a hard time reading it so let me tell you what this says you can see at the top I've got it blocked off at Hiram Smith said the, the he thought best that the information of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon be related by Joseph Smith himself to the elders present that all might know for themselves how did the Book of Mormon come forth how did the translation work they were asking questions. He said, so Hiram in the meeting says, I'm going to ask my brother Joseph to stand up and tell you how it worked. Okay? Uh, Joseph Smith Jr. said that it was not intended to tell uh, the world the particulars of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. He also said that it was not expedient for him to relate these things. In other words, I will never tell you exactly how it worked. So we don't know. Now, there has been a lot said by uh, current scholars. The, the current work is being done uh, by a BYU professor, Royal Skousen, on the uh, Joseph Smith Project. has been magnificent. And, and we'll talk a little bit about what he thinks, how this process worked. Um, yeah. It just sounds like an extremely sacred. I think to Joseph it was sacred. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was very sacred. Joseph had learned to keep his mouth shut about things every time he opened his mouth. Do you know that it was four years, by the way, just to give you an idea of that, do you know that it was four years after the coming of, of uh, John the Baptist in May of 1829, it would be four years before David Whitmer would know anything about it. It came, he and Oliver kept it quiet, and it's not until he starts to write his history that he begins to relate some of these things. He learned the, the, to uh, hold these things a little closer to his heart. Okay? So, the, the, kind of the, the answer here is, is that we're not going to know for sure about how it might work. But we might have, we have some clues floating around. Um, and President, this is where I thought, uh, um, President, can you come on up? He, I think he's got some great insight as to how the translation, one way the translation might have worked, and we have it from an, a source that, again, I haven't seen anywhere else and, until uh, President Jones uh, told me about it. So. Not that I was involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a book there called 40 Years Among the Indians. It was written by a man named Daniel W. Jones, who was my great-great-grandpa. As an 11-year-old young man, he found himself an orphan in Missouri. Didn't know what to do. He decided he wanted to be a cowboy. Can you speak up just a little bit louder, President? Yes. That works. <laughs> decided he wanted to be a cowboy. And so in his early teens, he came to Texas so he could be a cowboy. While he was here, he fought in the Mexican War. 
And for the next two or three years after that, he lived down in South Texas on the border, on either side of the border. He taught himself how to speak Spanish and how to read it. And he acted as an interpreter many times while he was down there. In 1850, he hooked up with a group of men that were herding a few thousand sheep from the Panhandle of Texas to California during the gold rush. They got to the area that is now Price, Utah. His horse threw him and he shot himself in the upper leg. <laughs> and they thought he would die. He didn't. They took him to the Indians. The Indians bandaged him up and they uh, created a, a way to get him over the mountains. He balanced on a wood plank that they had made to sit on his saddle. They went down into Provo and they left him with the bishop in Provo, whose name was Higby, whose great-great-grandson was Bob Higby that served as, as a executive secretary for three state presidents here in Kenya. They banished him up, helped him get well, and baptized him. <laughs> with his agreement. <laughs> he worked a lot with the Indians because of the uprisings there in Utah and uh, developed a real relationship with them and that's where this, this title comes from. The first conference he went to, um, at the end of it, Brigham Young pulled him over and says that was the conference where they announced let's go out and and uh, save the Willie and Martin Handcart companies. He says, I want you to go on that, Daniel. And so he did. And he had some wonderful experiences up there that were pretty earth-shaking. Yeah. Really, we won't go into those right now. But he learned how to communicate with his Father in Heaven through that experience. He had some, he spent five months up in the mountains looking after the belongings of the people that they took into uh, Salt Lake to save them from the hand car uh, A few years after that, uh, Brigham Young called him into his office and said, I'm looking to create a mission down in Mexico. I understand you speak Spanish. I want you to translate portions of the Book of Mormon into Spanish. That was a big surprise to him. At that time, just before that time, there was a man named Trejo who was born and raised and educated in Spain joined the military and was functioning as an officer in the Spanish military in the Philippines. They got together and they had a visit with some friends and they started talking about religion and uh, Trejo expressed some opinions and somebody in the group says, you sound like a Mormon. He'd never heard of Mormons before. He went home and prayed about it, and he had a dream that night that he should go to Utah and find out about these Mormons. 
he resigned his commission and went to Utah and uh, found out about the church and joined the church. This was the same time that Brigham Young had talked to, to Daniel Jones about translating the Book of Mormon. Daniel Jones and Trejo met each other and uh, Daniel introduced uh, Brigham Young to him and he says, okay, you guys get going and translate not the whole Book of Mormon, but about a hundred pages, excerpts. They did this. They brought the product to Brigham Young and George Albert Smith was the church historian at that time and he was in the group and he says, how do we know it's right? <laughs> Good question. Nobody there could speak Spanish in, in the corner of the And so Daniel Jones says, well, I'll tell you what. You give us a book that neither one of us has ever seen. Trejo will uh, translate a chapter of that into Spanish. And I will never see the book. He'll give me his translation and I'll translate it back into English and we'll see how we do. I thought that's pretty clever of <laughs> this, this is what George Albert Smith said about it. On furnishing our translation as agreed upon, Brother Smith laughingly remarked, I like Brother Jones's style better than Brother Spencer's. It is the same in substance, but the language is more easily understood. Brigham said, that does it, let's go for it. So they translated, they finished their translation, and as they were leaving, Brigham Young pulled Dan Jones over and said, I'm holding you responsible for the accuracy of this, <laughs> which weighed very heavily on him. And he prayed about it. I need help, I need help. He was told by Brigham Young that he and Trejo should go back and go over the manuscript one more time and make sure everything was right. As they did it, this is what happened. I felt a sensation in the center of my forehead as though there was a fine fiber being drawn smoothly out. When a mistake occurred, the smoothness would be interrupted as though a small knot was passing out through the forehead. Whether I saw the mistake or not, I was so sure it existed that I would direct my companion's attention to it and call on him to correct it. When this was done, we continued on until the same occurred again. So that's how they finalized that translation. A couple months later, they were sent down as the first missionaries to Mexico to share the gospel down there. Wow. Thank you. How about that? As if a fiber is being drawn through his brain, and when they run across something, it, you can feel the interruption. 
in that and then he would respond to that. That's remarkable and again I haven't seen that anywhere else. Was that particular to Daniel Jones? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, the Lord is going to work with each one of us according to how we would do it, but you get a sense of how finely focused a translator would have to be when sacred text is rolling before, and, and how important it was to Brigham Young it would be right. That it would be accurate, that it would be as close as possible. That gives you some idea how important it is then for... It gives some idea about... Um, some have suggested that as the Book of Mormon was being translated, uh, there, there, there are several theories about that. One is called loose control. And that is that ideas that, like Alma was thinking about, would come, Joseph Smith would kind of frame it in his own words, and he would put it down that way. That's called loose control. The, the second one is called tight control, and that is that word for word is exactly what Alma intended those words to be. This comes closer to tight control. It says that it, there's an exactness to the way that, that it needs to be done. And I think it's probably, and our, our research, research tells us that it was probably more tight control than it was loose control. So we are very, very close to what Alma or Nephi or whoever it was um, wanted to be translated uh, today. Uh, and it may have been that simple, that sense of coming through the brain and just knowing that something about this was right. Uh, out of the research that's come, here's a couple of fun facts. Um, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery translation took about 65 working days. Now, they start April 7th. They really don't get finished until the end of June. If you'll think that through, that's a lot more than 65 working days. There are some significant interruptions here that we'll talk about in a second. But that means that during those 65 working days, um, where they're starting about April 7th, finishing about July 1st, that means they're translating about 8 to 10 pages a day. That is phenomenal. That's phenomenal even to the point of saying as they were going through this whole process um, that Joseph, according to Emma, uh, Martin Harris confirmed this as well, that when Joseph was translating, remember he's got, um, he's putting his head in the hat and he's looking at the seer stone. I think it's fascinating too uh, that when, remember we were talking last week about how Martin Harris had switched rocks on him and so he's just going to try and check him a little bit so he comes up with a stone from the riverbed and when Joseph isn't looking he swaps out the plate and Joseph's response when he looks in the hat is he says Martin it's black as Egypt in here what did you do? <laughs> it's black as Egypt Okay. in other words he, he, there, there was seen some ambient light inside the hat giving us some idea that the words were not necessarily probably in Joseph Smith's mind more likely they're in the seer stone and more likely there's a light to them enough that Joseph felt it was lighting up the inside of the hat Okay, so probably now about how many words was he looking at um, we think he could see somewhere between 20 and 28 words at a time 
as he's reading through this, he would get he would read, and then when he would get to a word that he couldn't pronounce, he would he would uh, spell it out phonetically. Um, I won't take time to go through, as I was reading through uh, Royal Skousen's works, he's, he's got a number of times where Oliver would write s- something like, uh, well, one of the examples was, was Coriantumer. He gets to Coriantumer and he spells it out phonetically, and then he spells it word for word, and the phonetic is different than the, what he spelled out. There's an MR at the end. Uh, of Coriantumer in the Book of Mormon. Phonetically it was M-E-R. He gets to M-R and he has to spell it. It was important that it even be spelled right. <laughs> and Because it wouldn't go away until he spelled it right, Oliver Cowdery read it back, and then the, the words would fade, and then the next 20 words would come up. Okay? It was that tightly controlled. It isn't now. When we look at the the original uh, manuscript that we have, uh, we'll talk more about this. Remember, there's an original manuscript. Oliver's writing, uh, come as Joseph is translating. There's a printer's manuscript that Oliver is copying uh, about ten pages at a time as they're typesetting the Book of Mormon. That Oliver will trans will uh, copy a printer's manuscript, take it to the printer, and they will work off of that. Uh, we have about twenty percent of the original manuscript we have a hundred percent of the printer's manuscript but in looking at the the uh, original manuscript an interesting thing occurs <laughs> and that is that one of the re- reasons we know about the about the 20 to 28 words all of this original manuscript is in Oliver ha- Oliver Cowdery's handwriting except for about 28 words in Joseph's handwriting. And we weren't quite sure what that was until they looked closely. What they watched in Oliver's handwriting, uh, in the original manuscript, he's writing as Joseph is translating, and then the writing starts to go, uh, and then it stops. And then Joseph's handwriting goes for about 28 words, and then Oliver's is back on and he's doing fine. In other words, what happened? I'm sorry. No, you were right. Oh, okay. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oliver, word after word after word. (laughs) Oliver, get up. Go get a cup of coffee. Do something. Wake up. Okay. We're back at it. (laughs) Uh, That was great. Okay, so Joseph could see about 20 words at a time. Now, a couple of things. Here's where the interruptions start. In late May, uh, remember, we're right in the middle of the planting season. The planting season in this area is going from about late March, early April, through to about June. Joseph has... Uh, what, what he bought from uh, from his father-in-law, Isaac Hales. Yeah. I'm sorry, Nader. No, go ahead. I, mean, I think you've covered this, but I'm just trying to remember. So did he ever have the place open during this? Nope. 
Nope. So again, all of this is going through um, with him with his head in the hat, and Oliver and Martin Harris and Emma and everybody keeps saying he had no other documents, including the plates. The plates remain covered. Uh huh. They were covered. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Um, in fact, I'll tell you what's interesting about that too is. Uh, the, the, it's almost, uh, we, we joke about the fact uh, that my little pointer here works off of Bluetooth. Okay. Apparently the Searstones did too. <laughs> <laughs> because the plates were closed. Joseph is apparently, according to Martin Harris, looking at parchment. So he's actually seeing the face of the plates and he's seeing the words underneath. Okay. Now, what we're going to talk about next time, when it's time to go uh, trans get them printed, initially Grandin is refusing to do it. He goes into Rochester to find a printer, and the printer isn't quite sure this is the real deal before he's going to put up the money to actually print the book. And Joseph goes, okay, okay, I'll prove it to you. Takes out the hat, grabs the seer stone. Let me, let me translate some Book of Mormon for you. Puts the stone in the hat and starts translating. The, the uh, printer in Rochester thought it was kind of a joke. He just couldn't believe that somebody was actually... No, I'm looking at the plates, and here's the translation of this thing. This is in September of 1829. So the, the seer stones are actually being able to see the face, uh, apparently, of, of the plates. Okay? All right. So here's the problem. They're missing the planting season. Uh, when, when, when Joseph buys the property from Isaac Hales, he buys the house and 13 acres. Now, that 13 acres is intended to be plowed. How much plowing do you think Joseph Smith is getting done here? <laughs> Zippo. He's not getting anything done. All they're doing is translating. They're heavy into the translation process. That means if they're not doing anything like this, they're also not, they didn't, didn't do a lot of planning last year because he was translating last year with Martin Harris over the book of Lehi. They run out of food. They got no food. They run out of paper. They only started off with a little bit of paper. We think maybe what Oliver Cowdery and Joseph Knight were bringing to them. They run out of paper, they run out of food. They actually have to stop the translation process. We're starving here. And Emma's hungry. What are we going to do? And Isaac Hale isn't real helpful. But, it, but their friend, Joseph Knight Sr., is in Colesville. <coughs> up the road 28 miles. So they stop the translation process and they hike, Joseph and Oliver, the 28 miles up to Joseph Knight's house to see if they can't get some food uh, and help. And he's not home. <laughs> he's not home. He's away on a business trip. They hike all the way back home. They're, now they're really hungry. They go door to door in Harmony to try and find some work. We're having to stop the translation process because we're starving. They can't find anybody who's willing to give them. We're, oh, it's Joseph the money digger. So they won't give him any help. Meanwhile, Joseph Knight arrives home. I guess they left him a note. Said, wish you were here. We're starving. 
Joseph Knight immediately throws uh, into his wagon um, some some beans, uh, a barrel of pickerel, fish pickerel. He's got a whole big barrel of pickerel, and he put and a stack of paper, and he and he heads back to. Um, and he, and he runs that food and the paper down to Harmony so that they can continue. That's what they will live off for the next month. Okay. By the way, don't you think Oliver Cowdery might have brought some money with him? He did. He made the first payment on Joseph's house. Remember that uh, uh, the, the sale of the house was about $250. Uh, Oliver will pay about 200 of that with money that he brings with him. Now he's now out of money, but he paid for the house. When Joseph Knight comes, he will pay the other 50 to Isaac Hale. So, um, because Joseph just, he did not have any money. Okay? And the, and the translation process is being interrupted at this point. Okay? So, th th when we talk about about 68 to 70 working days, it, the problem is these interruptions that keep coming up that get in the way of that. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Alright. Now, there's several events that happen in the middle of the translation that you can't separate out what was going on from the translation from the history around it. And it is kind of our history and it's how this comes to pass. The first one is that's a barrel of pickerel. Went and found a barrel of pickerel for you. That's what they were eating. Pickerel, fish, fish. Salt, salted fish that they were living off of. Kind of sardines, kind of thing. Okay, now here's the here's a second event that starts to happen that is fascinating to me. Uh, fascinating as they are translating. Let, let, let's remember when Joseph when Joseph sits down with Oliver to begin translate what is the very first chapter that they are translating together Joseph and Oliver anybody know? Mosiah Mosiah 1 even though on the, on the record it was listed as Mosiah 3 Mormon had said Mosiah 3 it, the very first thing that they're reading about is King Benjamin. They start there. That's the beginning. They will go all the way to Moroni, and then they will go to the small plates, and then they will go first Nephi to Mosiah. So the very first thing that they're looking at is Mosiah. Now, as they're, as they're starting in Mosiah... They get as far as Alma 45, and now, and what's happening between these two guys, Joseph and Oliver, jo they have found each other, and there's a lot of gospel discussion starting to go between these two brethren. Okay? And then they get, when they get to Alma 48, it, or 45, it really piques their interest. Behold, the, we know, uh, this we know, that Alma was a righteous man and the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord even as Moses behold the scripture saith that the Lord took Moses unto himself we receive we suppose that he also received Alma in the spirit uh, therefore for this cause we know nothing concerning his death and burial 
Well, that was fascinating to these two guys. In the middle of this translation, really? So it's, it, the, it, the translation stops down while they have this doctrinal discussion. Who else do they know in history besides Alma and Moses that might have lived on beyond... Yeah. John. John. The John the Beloved. They know their New Testament better than their Old Testament. They had a, what really got into them was John. How did, so, so here was the discussion between Oliver and Joseph. One of them is saying, no, I think John died. And the other one goes, no, it says that he lived. And he was going get, to get to keep living. No, 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 he died. That doesn't work. No, it's just like Moses and just like Alma. No, it's not. Back and forth. They go. How are you going to resolve it? How are you going to resolve a, a, a dispute like this? Because they want the answer. What do they have that might be able to provide them with a way to resolve this rather than just kind of, we'll just agree to disagree and move forward? They have a seer stone. Yes. Joseph, yes. Why don't you consult the seer stone and see what the answer is to this? You get revelations through, yes. I will consult the seer stone. Now, how does... How does Joseph know what's on the plates? He's seen the record in Reformed Egyptian and underneath he's seen English. Okay? Wouldn't it be helpful if you wanted to solve the dispute, wouldn't it, as good historians do, good historians want to go back to the original source. Wouldn't it be helpful to go back to the original source to solve the dispute? The original dispute, the original source for this would be who? John himself. Wouldn't it be helpful if John himself had actually written something that would solve the dispute? And if you had seer stones, you could actually see what John himself wrote, and then you'd have your answer. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> DNC 9. Now, Joseph said, translated from parchment, written and hid up by John himself. Now, wrap your brain around that for just a second, will you? I don't know, did John live on or not? Oh, no. Let's go back to John's original writings on John's parchment that he wrote and he hid up in the ground somewhere. Somewhere on this planet is the parchment of John the Beloved where he talks about what the Savior told him at the time. It's hidden somewhere. The, the Urim and Thummim enabled Joseph to look at that original parchment and see the translation thereof. Is that crazy? Isn't that amazing? So what we get into... Yeah? Yes. <laughs> by, by the time we get to about 1838, um, 
Joseph has kind of called them all the Urim and Thummim, but let's keep in mind, this isn't the original Urim and Thummim. This is the Nephite interpreters, and most of the time it's his seer stones. It's, it's generally, we think, the brown seer stone, most of the time. Okay, DNC 9. And the Lord said unto me, John, my beloved, what desirest thou? If thou shalt ask uh, what you will, it shall be granted unto you. And I said unto him, Lord, give unto me power over death, that I may live and bring souls unto thee. They go, oh, okay. I guess he lived. <laughs> Why? Because we saw the original parchment that John wrote on by virtue of the seer stones. That's amazing to me. Okay, it gives you some idea what a seer can do uh, with, with a sacred instrument. Yeah, Tim? That is not the NC9 according to. It's what? DNC9 is a revelation given to Paul the County. Did I put the wrong one? I wouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> Anybody find it? Six, seven, seven, seven. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Keep me honest. Okay, now, here's, here's the more, um, this is the more powerful part, I think, of this entire translation process. Um, they begin in Mosiah and the first thing that they're getting is King Benjamin who's giving uh, th this beautiful sermon about building them up then Alma is going to then they're going to read about Alma in the court of King Noah and he's going to hear all the words of Abinadi. And, but there's no discussion of baptism among Alma. Uh, and when he's, when he's talking about uh, Abinadi. Then he's going to go out to the waters of Mormon. And what happens there? Now he begins to baptize. And the first time he baptizes himself. Along with Helam, Right? So now you start having all this discussion about baptism. There is starting at this moment then in the minds of these two guys. Well, what about baptism? What about baptism? It will think about how often baptism comes up in the Book of Mormon from the waters of Mormon all the way through the Savior's visit in 3 Nephi. There's a lot. And baptism comes up a number of times all the way through. When they got to the end of third ne to the end of the Savior's visit in Third Nephi, Joseph and Oliver were now really perplexed. What did they want to know? What about our own baptism? What was it that had jo driven Joseph into the sacred grove in the first place? He's worried about his sins. What about baptism? And what about joining the Lord's kingdom? And how do we have a remission of sins? And all of that kind of stuff. By the time they get to the end of 3 Nephi, 
They really want to know. They really, really want to know. And and uh, so now they're going to go into the woods to try and solve the question. Um, l- let me let me put it this way. Uh, this is something. As I was sitting in church yesterday, actually sitting in in gospel doctrine, I had something. Uh, occur to me and, and if you don't mind let, let, let me just read it to you uh, fast little uh, idea I had called the boys at the table <laughs> the restoration of the ancient gospel into the latter days began with a small seed. In early April 1829, the entire gospel, the entire work of restoration consisted of two young men looking at each other across the table. Think about our church now with all the temples and the work and everything that we're doing. At this moment, April, 20, April 1829, the entire project is two guys looking across the table at each other. It's the whole thing. The translation was just beginning. Joseph Smith was seen by the public as a poor money-digging farmer. Oliver was an itinerant teacher. The Nephite records were covered and the translation was just beginning. What was coming was unknown even to the boys at the table. Efforts to have someone else translate the records had failed and the words that it had been translated had been stolen. As they looked across at each other, they were starting from scratch and had little idea what was coming. The seed to everything that was coming was planted as they read about the young leader Alma that began to teach people the words of Abinadi. And then he baptizes. Somehow, Alma had obtained the authority and the people came and a church begins. And so it was with these boys. From Messiah to 3rd Nephi, the curiosity and desire for baptism grows and grows. After translating the Lord's visit, they are driven to find out what the Lord wanted for them and for baptism. The desire driving Joseph here was the same desire that drove him into the woods nine years earlier. Where does he go for remission of sins? He had gotten an answer then, maybe now. A light in the trees, an angel with keys, and a spark is lit. Let me show you how the spark is lit. They go into the trees and what happens? Let's go to DNC 13. They pray and and now the light comes and there's an angel. Now, upon you my fellow servants, stop, 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 stop. Here's Joseph and Oliver. We're just trying to translate here. And here comes this being of light, whether he identified himself as John the Baptist immediately, I don't know, may have. 
But what does he call them? Fellow servant. What, what would that mean to them? They're what? We're equals. My fellow servants. He doesn't say, okay, my servants. And he doesn't, I mean, he's calling them my fellow servants. You're, you're about to be in my quorum. <laughs> We're, my fellow, you're going to be like me. I think that would just, fellow servants would be, wow. This is what we talk about when we talk about the invisible church, that there are people on both sides of the veil, and we are part of the same community. Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah. Name Messiah. I confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys to the ministering of angels. This is where it begins. If you want to know a starting place for the restoration of the gospel and everything that is about to happen in the next few months, it happens right now when, when John the Baptist confers on them the, the priesthood of Aaron and the ministering of angels. He has now given them the keys to engage heaven to be involved in this enterprise, not just Moroni. Up till now, it's the boys and Moroni and the seer stone. What's now about to happen is that heaven will kick in. Heaven will engage. Heaven will be involved. And the work and the restoration now begins to unfold. And let, let me show you quickly how it, how it unfolds, and it unfolds quickly. This is the little stone cut without hands that's going to suddenly start rolling down the hill. Yeah? Just a quick comment. John the Baptist was there to announce the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. And here, my fellow servants, Joel Smith and Paul of Calgary, are here to announce the coming of the Messiah oh, yeah. for the last time. That, I like that. Because the part of the restoration of the gospel would say, not only here's who he was, but he's coming. And let us teach you what he's like. Uh, I think that's a great point, Tim. Alright, so here's... Let, let me show you how this, this moment lights the spark. This is a bigger deal, not just, well, this is when the priesthood was restored. No, this is when the restoration really begins in full. The, the, the translation of the Book of Mormon is only about half done at this point. The, we don't even have the full manuscript yet. But this is where it starts. And I'll, 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 let me show you why. Okay? Because what starts to happen after this moment, everything begins to change. Oliver Cowdery is going to say, from the midst of eternity, uh, the voice of the Redeemer spake peace unto us. Apparently they also heard the, the voice of the Savior. The veil was parted. The angel came, gave us the keys. Joseph, 1838. Our minds were now enlightened. We began to have the scriptures laid open to our understanding. The true meaning of their more mysterious passages were revealed to us in a manner we never could thought attained to previously or ever even thought of. They hear the voice of the Lord. They have the angel calling them his fellow servants. And now the scriptures are laid open by John the Baptist apparently. And they're starting to see things they never saw. Wow! 
And they walk, what, the, the two guys that walk out of that grove that day, and this is like in the woods, out, out back of the house in Harmony, those, these guys are different and the world has just changed a little bit. And, and here, here's, here's what happens. Um, so Harmony down here is just over the border in Pennsylvania. So that'll be fun for you guys, right? Get ready to go there. That's where our mission's going to be, is right in that area. Um, near Harmony, okay, 28 miles up, up the road is Colesville, where Joseph uh, Knight Sr. has been helping them back and forth. Now, you go up there and just below uh, Palmyra and Manchester, the, the, the map isn't accurate. Manchester's right next to Palmyra. Fayette takes you about an hour. How many have been down to Fayette? Okay, yeah. It's just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Okay? But this is where the Whitmers live. And Joseph, or, or Oliver and David Whitmer are commuting back and forth, or commuting, communicating by letter, and they're going, wow, things are happening here. Now, um, What's going to happen here is that uh, the, the opposition in harmony begins to build. Uh, Emma's uncle is, is, is riding around stirring things up against Joseph. And, and they're starting to be interrupted a lot. And Joseph they, and mo mobs are forming. They've got to get out of harmony. Oliver will write to David and say to David, um, can we come hang with you? <laughs> can we come up and, and, and finish the translation? We're almost done. Can we come finish the translation at your place? Because they are pumped. In, in, in the Whitmers in Fayette are really pumped about this project. There are revelations happening. There are things are occurring. And, and David Whitmer says, yes, I'm coming, except for the fact that uh, our planning season, it's May, right? This, this is going to happen, right, the last week of May. Uh, yes, I'm coming, but I've got to finish sowing my, my crops so that I can go ahead and come down to you. But as soon as I finish that, it can take me a few days, I'll be there. Okay? Now... Remember when we go back to what was said in D&C 13. When John the Baptist comes, he says, My fellow servants, I confer upon you the priesthood Aaron, uh, of Aaron. And this is the keys to what? The ministering of angels. This is where things start to happen and heaven is now engaged. This is where David Whitmer then says, i got to go get those guys. I better go hurry. I'll get up first thing in the morning to finish planting my crops. And he comes out, and there are three dudes out there finishing his, finishing his planting for him. Who are you guys? Well, we're just here to help. <laughs> you started, we'll finish it. And they're finishing his planting for him. And then they, then they walk away. He doesn't know who they are. That's, that's amazing to him. And he realizes what he just saw, that he got help from me. I better go get those guys. So now that they finished planting, uh, 
He piles up the stuff. I'm going to take the wagon. I'm going to go from Fayette down to Harmony. It's going to take me about two and a half days uh, to travel down there. So off he goes. About the 29th of May, Joseph goes, Oh, looking at Sear Stones, David Whitmer's almost here. Let's meet him. <laughs> so they go up the road about a mile, up that, that road here, and here comes David Whitmer. And he goes, what are you guys doing out here? He says, well, the Sear Stones said you were coming. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> By the way, there were three guys that finished my crops. I'm not sure. And he said, yeah, I know. <laughs> Amazing, huh? Yeah, whoa. <laughs> wow. Okay, so they get in the wagon, then they go back to Harmony and pack them up. Yeah. So did Emma go with them? Emma doesn't go, uh, with, yes, Emma does go. Okay? She does go. So they go back, they pack everything up, and off they go. Now, as they're riding down the road, and, and, and this is one of those little moments. This is one of those millennial moments that I really want to have, be able to see in video and actually see this moment. Um, they pack up everything, but Martin Harris says, I didn't see him pack up any plates. Um, but off we went. As they're heading down the road, he looks up just ahead of him, and there's a really old guy walking down the road. And David Whitmer pulls up alongside him and he says, Old man, it's a, where are you going? Um, and the old man looks at him and says, I'm on my way to Kimura. <laughs> and David looks over at Joseph Smith like, Kimura? And he looks back and the man's gone. <laughs> and, now he, and Joseph says, yeah, he's taking the plates. <laughs> Wow. Basically, he's going to take the plates. Okay. So, so imagine at this point, as David Whitmer is wheeling these guys up to Fayette, and he's going, "Dad, the uh, field got finished by angels. I saw an old man who disappeared, who said he was on his way to Camora. We didn't see the place, but now Joseph has them here. Things are happening." This is amazing. Uh, and, and they are really, really pumped. The only one who isn't maybe as completely pumped would be who? Mary Whitmer. Mama Whitmer. Who now she has this influx of people. They're coming in. This is like, this is early June. And now she's really overwhelmed by all of this. And just kind of feeling a little bit picked on, I think. Uh, and this is the story that you guys know well, where she walks out of the house uh, either early in the morning or late in the evening, and there's the old man. And he's got something under his arm. And he says, bless you, Mary, for the things you're doing. You deserve to see the plates. And he shows her the plates. She's able to handle them, look at them, and he says, this is what, we're, this is what Joseph and Oliver are working on. Here's the plates. And this happens before the three witnesses and it happens before the eight witnesses. Mary Whitmer is number two after Joseph to see the plates. I often wondered what did Emma think about that? 
About Mary being able to see them? And her wanting to see them and the sacrifices of the children and, and Joseph. I yeah, I, I feel bad about Emma because she never saw them. Yeah, I feel bad. She, I mean, she's not one of the 13, you know. Now, I'm sure that, again, she felt them through the cloth and she was aware of them the whole time and she saw him translating. But yeah, Emma never saw him. She hefted it once. She did hefted. Well, it wasn't necessarily through a window. That was uh, Josiah Stoll. But but again, she's cleaning, she's dusting underneath them, and she's picking them. You know, she she can feel them, she can hear them. But Emma never saw it. Mary Whitmer's number two. Okay. Now, let me just let me just kind of get to this point then, and then then we'll finish. From this moment on. With them arriving at um, in, in Fayette, and the translation is there, and angels are occurring, and there are miraculous things happening. There, uh, there are the revelations. If you look, section 20 of the Doctrine and Covenants will come. Uh, it started to be written during the summer, but all of those other revelations, 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 and 11 and 12, 13, 14, 15, that's all happening during this period of time. Revelations are coming. Angels are being seen. Mary Whitmer has seen the plates. Um, and what starts to happen here is that the church begins. The Whitmers find out that Joseph and Oliver have been baptized. They ask to be baptized. They're baptized. Baptisms start to happen. Samuel is baptized. Um, uh, they are starting to have, when, when Joseph Smith Sr. and Mama Smith come the first week of July, they find out that, that in, this, in this farmhouse at Fayette, they are having morning devotionals. They are reading the manuscript. They're praying about it. People are being baptized. Joseph is going from the money digger to the translator to being a minister. He's, he's starting to teach. He's teaching out of the things that they're learning. Uh, they are reading the manuscript and, they, and there's an excitement that starts to build around Fayette. And people are really, and they're coming and they want to be baptized. And Joseph and Oliver are baptizing them. And, and I think the same thing is actually happening from Colesville. The Col some of the Colesville people are coming up and also being baptized. Just like what they saw Alma did. Yes, and, and I think there's a real feeling of it, especially when they would read read this part in Alma where this is where this is like the waters of Mormon, only this is like the waters of Seneca kind of thing, you know? It's ha and so that's why I say you watch that spark that started with the coming of John the Baptist and suddenly heaven is engaged and people are beginning to come and now there's a different feeling that starts to happen. This thing is now starting to grow. There's a manuscript. There are revelations. People are give, being given directions about what they're supposed to do. They have their own revelations in God's first person direction to them. And now it's on. So much so that they want to go ahead and organize a church. And the Lord says, no, finish the publishing of the Book of Mormon first. And then we'll, then we'll have the church. That's about nine months away. Okay? But I just think it's fascinating that from the moment that John the Baptist delivers the keys, let's go back again now. 
Upon you, my fellow servants, in the name of Messiah, confer the priesthood of Aaron, which holds the keys to the ministering of angels, and of the gospel of repentance, and of baptism by immersion for the remission of sins. And this shall never be taken again from the earth. And, I, and I've read that a number of times to say, so that... This will never be taken again from the earth, so that the sons of Levi do offer again an offering unto the Lord in righteousness. Okay, And this is where it's happening. And so now, suddenly there are people engaged, and, and the work begins. And it starts with the restoration of the keys. We made it. We haven't got the Book of Mormon translated yet. But questions on any of this? I realize I'm, I, I just threw a lot of information at you. We didn't get a chance to have much of a discussion, but um, I just wanted to go back to Sarah's question about whether or not the Yeah. She did not go with them. Initially. Initially. A short time later, she does arrive in That's right. She does not even the Yeah. She just isn't on that first trip up. Thank you. Thank you. Okay? All right. So yeah. The first picture you showed us was that Joseph, senior. The picture that you showed in the little frame. Is that oh, that, that was actually Oliver. That was Oliver. That's actually. I have to tell you that that. I love that picture of Oliver Cowdery. I, I just do. This was actually taken years in, in Richmond after he was away. At the time he was away from the church, he's practicing as an attorney, uh, and before he joins back with the saints. But I look, I look in his eyes, and what do you see? Yeah, you see that, and you see just this kind, loving face. This was a man that saw the Savior. Yeah. How old were Joseph and Oliver at the time? They were About 23. Mm -hmm. They were just young bucks. I know. I know. Um, that's why it's amazing. It, 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 all, it all lands on their shoulders as this work begins. Uh, but, yeah. So, in my mind, I have a hard time understanding why, like Oliver, have the Yeah. What? Him yeah. He and David Whitmer as well. Yeah, David never came back. Correct. He didn't come back. Although I, he made sure carved on his on his uh, headstone was the fact that he never denied his testimony. Um, I'm going to answer that one a little bit later because there is a story behind what happens to these witnesses because we're not even because in ending here we're not even getting to the witnesses of, of how what they saw and then uh, what undermined them later on because it will happen in far west for Oliver Cowdery and has to do with money yeah These, uh, if you will, I, I'm reading two books concurrently as I'm going through this, and then numerous podcasts. But again, it's 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 uh, from darkness into light. Uh, Michael McKay, and then the other one, Rough Stone Rolling, and the two of those together have have done a beautiful job of kind of trading off of each other a little bit. But 
Yeah, From Darkness into Light and Rough Stone Rolling. Those two books are fabulous. And I've got them both on Kindle, and I just keep flipping back and forth between the two of them. And then I go searching for additional stuff when they bring up questions that I don't have answers to. Okay, so uh, in two weeks we will talk about uh, the witnesses, uh, and then we will finally get the Book of Mormon uh, translated, and we'll find out uh, how many how many publishers he had to go to in order to to get the Book of Mormon translated, uh, and exactly what that took. And you're going to get to find out about the Book of Pukey. You're going to find out about the Book of Pukey. Uh, yes, yes, that, that's, uh, that's uh, essential to the publishing of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> anyway, uh, I leave that with you in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> On that note. Our dear Father, as we bow, we are so grateful that we've been able to be here to discuss the history of this church. We have discussed it. The foundings were thankful for being The inspiration that we receive to be able to, to fill the spirit with Hinkley and the insights that he gives us and the time that he puts into our We pray that we can have our spirit with us as we study these things in our own hearts and our own minds, that we can be able to fill the power of glory in each of us as we go forth with this. And these things we pray and we do so in the name of thy son Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always heaven.